Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Kate Show. My name is Kate, and you're listening to episode 249. My goodness, how time flies. I can't believe we are approaching 250 episodes. Now, as we get into today's topic, I have a question for you. How many new clients do you get from referrals? I would guess that over 90% of your new business comes from this classic, solid, beautiful marketing strategy. It's quite simple, right? Do a good job and people will tell their friends about you. But for some reason, we've been conditioned to believe that we should be getting clients from other sources like social media or search engines. And if that describes you, I ask you to reconsider. The ironic thing about word of mouth referrals is they will come at you from every angle, often disguised as coming from a different source altogether. Consider this scenario. A lead finds you because someone in a Facebook group recommended you. That lead then contacts you and says, hey, I found you on Facebook. At face value, you might be like, oh, okay, I got a lead from social media. But was that a social media lead or was it a word of mouth lead? Well, it was a referral. It was word of mouth. That lead didn't find you based on what you posted on social media, but they found you because someone in that Facebook group recommended you. Or consider this scenario. A lead contacts you via DM on Instagram, stating that they've been following you forever and their friend highly recommended you and they would really like to work with you. Now, is that a social media lead or a referral lead? Bingo, referral again. They were following you forever, yes, but they weren't motivated to hire you until their friend made the recommendation. And maybe they only started following you back in the day because that friend mentioned you, which means, again, they perhaps didn't just find you out of the blue on social. Now, these are all hypothetical situations, but they are situations that happen a lot in real life. So if you're getting clients by word of mouth referral, you likely have a healthy business and a solid brand recognition. So let's capitalize on that. If you are ready to dive into how you can increase your word of mouth referrals, grab a notebook and hold on tight because I am giving you several different strategies that you can use today to make a difference and not feel like you're at the mercy of whoever decides to hopefully generously refer you because What we have seen at the Socialite Agency is that people can run their businesses with no marketing other than word of mouth referrals for like a decade. But after a decade, and I like this is just anecdotal evidence. I have no idea why it's about a decade. But after that time, the referrals dry up. They're done. And that is when that person ends up coming to an agency like ours and they're panicking because they're like, I've never done any marketing whatsoever before. I have literally been coasting along with these referrals. It was busy right out of the gate for me. And it's been so amazing. I feel so lucky. But now that it's gone, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't want that to be your story. I want you to have a handle on where your leads are coming from so that you know where the low hanging fruit is and so that you can start planting other trees that will produce fruit when you need it instead of looking at your orchard and being like, oh, wow, this is a famine. Okay, we're not going to go to that feast to famine cycle because that's not fun. It's actually very emotional and it can be hard to get out of. All right, before we get into today's topic, I have to thank our sponsors. The first one is brought to you by the foundation website. So I am sponsoring my own podcast. I can do that. I can do that, guys. If you need a better website and you don't want to do it yourself, you should consider our semi-custom website design because in this 
service, we set up your website, we handle your basic SEO, we optimize your images, and we assist you with the copywriting, but we make sure that you keep full control over the website moving forward. You'll be able to update it on your own, but if you need help, you can certainly reach out to us. There are no ongoing fees for that. Any fees you're paying ongoing would be directly to Squarespace, which is the best website platform in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And if you're like, yeah, but what about that custom website design that you offer? Well, yes, we do offer custom, but a custom site is very different because we will be doing 100% of the copywriting, 100% of the SEO, 100% of unique web page design based on the things that you tell us you like and don't like. Semi-custom is a lot more streamlined. So if you're looking for something that has a lower price point and a faster turnaround, semi-custom will be for you. But if you are ready for a fully custom website and you want a say in what each page looks like, then fully custom will obviously be for you. So if you are not sure which option is a good fit, but you know that you need to do a website, go to katethesocialite.com and check out the options under the service menu. This episode is also brought to you by SideDoor. You guys know I have been a huge fan of SideDoor since they first launched a handful of years ago. And I like it because if I was an interior designer, it's something that I personally would be using. I would be creating a handful of collections, each specific to one room in the home. So I'd have one for the bedroom, whether it's like, you know, a kid's room or a nursery or the primary suite or whatever it is. And then I would have one for the living room and the family room. I would have it also specific to a certain design aesthetic. Now, I'm not really sure what that design aesthetic would be because I'm not a designer, but you know, because you're a designer. And once I curated those collections, I'd make sure there weren't too many products in each collection because that would just overwhelm the homeowner who would be sifting through it trying to figure out what to purchase. Instead, I wouldn't give them too many options because what I have figured out as a service provider is the more options I give a potential client or customer, the less likely they will be to purchase because too many options equals confusion. So if you're like, I want to be better at side door. I want to actually start making sales through side door. Chances are you've got either too many collections or the collections you do have have way too many products in them or all the same products. Like here's my area rug collection. Here's my lamp collection. And that's not helpful to the homeowner. So go through and cull and curate collections that will help them really buy a room kit from you. Like I need the farmhouse living room kit because I like the farmhouse aesthetic and I need to know what's going to look good together based on the size and style that I'm going for. And they can find you by everything, side door handles, the delivery, the shipping, all the things, including any sort of issues that might arise. And you get 30% on average of each sale. That is amazing. So if you're interested in getting signed up with SideDoor, or if you need to go back into your SideDoor account and really get your collections in order, that way they're sellable, go to onsidedoor.com and get started today. 
Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by HoneyBook. I use HoneyBook because it is so easy for me to make sure the right contracts, proposals, emails, and forms are sent to new clients at the right time without me or someone else on my team having to do it manually. It's really easy to set up workflows, capture digital signatures, and it also just makes me look professional, which I kind of like. So if you're interested in trying HoneyBook, you can head over to HoneyBook.com and use the code SOCIALITE to get 50% off your first year. All right, guys, without further ado, let's get into today's topic, how to strategically increase your word of mouth referrals. mouth referrals are the number one source of new clients for most home industry businesses, and that's a good thing. Referrals mean that people are talking about your business and actively promoting it on your behalf for free. A dream, right? Let's ramp up your referrals intentionally so that this precious pipeline doesn't go dry. Here are five key ways to increase your referrals. And I'm going to run through them quickly, and then we're going to go back and kind of break them apart. Number one, show up in the right places online and offline. Number two, initiate conversations rather than waiting for them to happen organically. Number three, become relatable by showing your humanity as a business. Number four, remove the confusion from your marketing. And number five, differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Now you might be like, oh man, I don't know what any of that means, but I probably need to do it. And I know this because this was me back in the day. You know, I hated marketing. I was confused about where I was supposed to show up and where I wasn't supposed to show up. And I felt like I could spend my whole 40, 50 hours a week just marketing. And honestly, that is a lot of what I did in the beginning because I had to screw up and mess around and try again and fail to figure out what was not going to work. And when I figured out what did work, I was like, oh, Well, that was a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be. So I've broken it down into five things for you. So let's break apart. Number one, show up in the right places online and offline. To have good marketing and generate more referrals, your business doesn't need to be everywhere. Thank goodness. You only need to show up in a few of the right places that you have strategically chosen because you know your ideal client is already there. See, the problem with marketing is that when we're getting started in business, we often think, well, if I just make it really pretty, then people will be naturally attracted to this and want to work with me, right? Wrong. Unfortunately, the whole build it and they will come thing is just a misnomer. But if you can look attractive to your ideal client and then go meet your ideal client where they're already hanging out, you have a fighting chance. So here are some tactics to consider. If you want more website traffic, because you know your ideal client Googles things, update your Google business listing monthly with an image and maybe even a link to your latest blog post. Now, if you're marketing to busy professionals, so maybe you are a B2B business or you're B2C and like the interior designer who is working with the busy doctor and you know updating his or her house, you know they're probably active on LinkedIn. So repost your blog as a LinkedIn article. If you want to connect with other businesses who serve your ideal client, so really to get a referral partner, contact one of those potential referral partners once a month 
to schedule a coffee date, even if they are a complete stranger to you, because in-person interaction is crucial for solidifying these partnerships. And you don't have to have a lot of them. You can have two or three people that consistently send you awesome leads, and that's going to really do a lot to grow your business. Number two, initiate conversations rather than waiting for them to happen organically. Now, I'm a huge fan of things organic whether it's food, whether it's body products, whether it's marketing, but there are some situations where we have to just make it happen. Now, the best way to initiate a conversation is to show up where most people spend over an hour each day, actively sifting through their inboxes. Yep, email marketing. Email has been around since 1970-ish and has only continued to increase in use. And while you might think, won't my email just end up in a junk folder? People are already getting too many emails. I'm getting too many emails. Well, thankfully, this is not actually hurting the effectiveness of email as shown by the data. And I'm gonna share some data with you from the last year. So this is February, 2024. So we're gonna be looking at data that was collected in 2023. First of all, millennials and Gen Xers, which is like all of the people that you guys are trying to serve because uh, the youngest generation is still too young to own a home. The millennials and Gen Xers rely on their email more than any other generation. 98% of all millennials and Gen X use email actively. Now, 99% of all email users check their inbox every single day which means they're very likely to see your email the day it's sent. Unlike if you post on social media and that post has a shelf life of only a few hours before it gets buried by the algorithm. Companies that send two emails a month tend to see a higher open rate overall. And we've definitely seen this in action among our clients here at Socialite Agency. One or two newsletters a month is definitely on point. I was so happy to see this statistic because I have been seeing, at least in the home industry, that if you're emailing people every week, it's not necessarily going to go well. And if you're emailing them more than once a week, you are in hot water and not, not like a nice hot tub, but like boiling water that you want to get out of immediately. But if you are emailing people once a, every four weeks or once every two weeks, that is so on point. And now the data also supports that. So that's convenient. The other thing to keep in mind is that consumers, people who buy things, people who want to spend money, spend an average of only 10 seconds reading a brand email, reading an email from a business. And that's why the design, the layout, and the content and the topic of your newsletter matters so much. And that's also why so many people claim that email marketing doesn't work for them. Because if they've got too many topics in one newsletter, if they've got a bazillion calls to action in there, well, people are only looking at it for a few seconds. And if they're confused, if they don't know what to do next, if it's not interesting or relevant to them, they're going to hit delete and then your chance is gone. The other thing to keep in mind is return on investment. So email marketing generates $36 to $42 for every $1 spent, making it the most effective and profitable marketing tactic, like pretty much ever. And while this list could go on, it's safe to say that email use is only going to keep going up. So if you're not using email to market your business, you're going to fall behind. Like that's just the truth. And you're going to miss out on the opportunity to start conversations that lead to new projects and great clients. Today's episode of The Kate Show is brought to you in part by the Window Coverings Association of America. If you're an interior designer, a window treatment specialist, or an installer looking for business growth, listen up. With an annual membership to the WCAA, 
you'll receive trade discounts, ongoing education, and an exclusive listing in their homeowner-facing directory of professionals. Which, by the way, guys, makes it a lot easier for people to find you. Whether you've been working in the home industry forever or you're fresh out of design school, the WCAA can help you take your business to the next level, whether you're just trying to scale up or you're just getting started. Go to WCAA.org for more details. All right, number three, become a relatable brand by showing your humanity. Sharing personal stories and snippets of your life in aspects of your marketing is huge. For me, this looks like posting photos of my kids or my husband on my Instagram. If you guys follow me, you know you've seen that. You're basically watching my kids grow up without me oversharing because that's another thing people are like, I don't want to overshare. I don't want to post all these pictures about my family. I'm a very private person. Well, you know what? I am too. But there is a way to do it strategically and a way to do it so that people feel like they're getting to know you but you're not feeling uncomfortable with how much you are putting out there. And only you can figure out where that line is for yourself. You just have to start doing it and then back off if it feels too weird. But what I do is share photos of my family. I share something that I love about them. I also get vulnerable on social media or on this podcast by sharing some of the tough seasons that I've endured, the things that God has helped me overcome and the things that currently frustrate me because this makes me relatable. This is me just being myself, and some people don't like that at all. You should see some of the comments I get on social media. It's okay. But a lot of people connect with that because they're like, well, I'm a mom and a business owner, and I'm a follower of God, or maybe you know, I don't share your beliefs, but I have a really hard work ethic just like you do, and I really resonate with what you're saying here. Or yeah, this, you know, this whole entrepreneurship thing, it is really challenging, and it's cool to see you know, what you're doing, and I am comparing it to what I'm doing, and it's just like, it's encouraging because as they say, the rising tide lifts all boats, and it can be hard to encourage people who are watching you if you never let them get to know the real you. Now, the difference between being relatable versus just airing out your dirty laundry and turning your marketing into some sort of weird soap opera <laughs> is to ensure that whatever you're sharing is uplifting or entertaining or thought-provoking rather than making it a list of complaints or deriding another person or entity. Being relatable can be short, it can be long, it can be somewhere in between, it could be written down, it could be a video, it could be a blog post, an Instagram story, a Facebook post, a LinkedIn article, the actual copywriting on your website. And that's something that I did, by the way, when I rebranded and of course redesigned my website. I put a lot of personal and family stuff on my homepage and my about page. And if you want to see an example of it, go to keepsocialite.com and just check it out because it feels right because the heart of my business isn't actually to like be super profitable, make tons of money, although of course that's nice. Uh, the whole point of why I started my business is because I wanted freedom and I wanted to be able to prioritize my family over everything else. And that is reflected now in my brand. And I'm just so darn happy about it. Basically, what I'm saying, guys, is long gone are the days of corporate, sterile, boring as heck marketing. Your ideal clients need to see your face. They need to hear your voice. They need to get to know your stories, not your Instagram stories, but the stories of your life. Yes, as many of them as you'll share. This is going to help you be easier to remember and help you stay top of mind when they need your services. All right, number four, remove the confusion from your marketing, like right now. 
If your services and your specialties are vague, you're making it needlessly complicated for people to refer people to you. To know whether your offerings are crystal clear or not, I do have a few clarifying questions that you can ask yourself. So number one is, is my website easy to navigate or am I making people click to different pages to view my services and then over here to view my pricing and then over here to view my process? And are my services like connected somehow? Are they related to one another or are they completely different? And am I feeling like I have a hard time picking which service I wanna promote when I'm doing my marketing? Well, if the answer to that is, yeah, I'm having trouble and yeah, my website makes people work too hard, then you've got a major issue and it will hurt your word of mouth referrals. Another question you can ask is, does my website homepage clearly state my geographic service area and highlight the key pain points I can solve for my clients? The majority of website reviews that I do for people, this is like hands down the biggest issue. I will not be able to figure out what state or province this designer or organizer is in. I will not be able to figure out this home stager's ideal client. And if I can't figure it out, like me knowing exactly what words to look for, how on earth is someone going to be able to refer their friends to you if they're not even sure where you are, who you are, or what you do? The other question you'll need to ask is, is my marketing consistent? Meaning, I'm consistent and timely with it. Like I release things like a newsletter, blog post at set intervals, or am I sporadic about it? And on that note, do the topics that I'm putting out into the world correlate with the services I'm offering? And am I occasionally sharing a personal story? These are all great questions to ask. The other thing you should ask yourself is, does my brand aesthetic, the way my brand looks, like logo, colors, fonts, photos, do all of those things reflect the type of client that I want to work with? Or... Is everything looking a little bit on the cheap side or a little bit on the stuffy or boring side when I'm actually trying to attract an eclectic client or an elegant client or a client who has a very artsy sort of personality? Well, you have to make sure that your brand matches the personality or the feeling, the vibe, or whatever you want to call it of the person that you most want to work with. All right, number five. Differentiate yourself in the marketplace. Making yourself look different is so important if you have a lot of local competition, especially if that competition is consistently trying to underbid you. My clients deal with this a lot if they have home staging businesses. For some reason, like this is just more chronic versus in organizing or design. But there will be home stagers that are like, look, I don't understand how my competition can offer home staging as cheaply as they do, but I keep losing projects to them and I'm really getting ticked. I don't blame them at all for being upset about this. But the best way to avoid that game of limbo pricing of how low can you go? Because no, you shouldn't just keep reducing your price to be competitive. You just need to play a different game. So if your business is a specialist at solving one set of particular problems, or it's a one-stop shop for a variety of needs, one's not better than the other, but you do need to figure out where you stand. You can't be both a specialist and a one-stop shop at the same time. Become known for one or the other, and then do it elegantly. If you're not sure whether to hone in as a specialist or to branch out as a one-stop shop, look at what your competition is doing and then do the opposite. Now, if competition is not a concern, be honest with yourself. Which business model would you enjoy more? Stick to the choice you make and decide to make your business the one 
it's like the best that has ever been seen, the best whatever it is, the best home staging company that only stages X type of listings or that only works in X type of area or whatever it may be. Or maybe you find a way to offer a service that everyone else offers, but you offer it so differently and so intuitively and so thoroughly that it justifies the price because the perceived value is so much higher. Now, whatever you decide to do, you have to make sure that it's reflected in your marketing. So of course, this always goes back to the website because the website is the mothership of your entire brand. People will always end up at your website. So having a website that is clear, easy, and direct is pretty much everything. This means also having professional branding, professional photos, even if you're new, do whatever you can to get professional photos. Even if those photos are just of yourself, like a lifestyle photo shoot, if you don't have any projects to photograph yet. And make sure that you have cohesive marketing that works together, meaning when you blog, you know that you're going to get website traffic from it. And you want to make sure you capture people's contact information after they've read your blog post. So you have a lead magnet and you want to make sure you stay in touch with people who sign up for your lead magnet. So you're also sending out the monthly newsletter. So it all works together. Being the best of the best will require an investment from you of both time and money, especially in the beginning. And that's what will set you apart even before a new lead has met you. Now, after that, your stellar customer service and really the bread and butter of what you do, the thing you wanted to do in the beginning when you started your business, because I know you didn't start your business because you wanted to be a marketer. You started your business because you wanted to be a designer, an organizer, or a stager, or a window treatment professional. And that's your time to shine. Finally, you've got the, the lead who's become a client, and now your stellar services will be the key to your success because you are going to be able to get word of mouth referrals by delighting that client. But before we wrap this up, you've got to do one more thing. Going forward, you have to track where your leads are coming from. That's one of the most important pieces of data to track. And when you onboard a new client, you should always be asking them or requiring them to fill out an initial form that captures basic information like their email address so that you can put them on your mailing list and also how they found out about you so you can track your referral sources. The slippery part of tracking leads, however, is something I've already alluded to and is realizing that sometimes your leads won't remember exactly how they found you, especially if they were referred to you and found you on Google and saw you on social media and they saw your signage out front. They likely decided to hire you due to a culmination of these things with personal word of mouth referral often being the deciding factor that tips the scale in your favor. So guys, you don't have to sit around and wonder where your next lead is going to come from. You can take action to make sure that you're putting yourself out there in the right ways and staying in touch with people who could either potentially refer more people to you or hire you again. And it feels good to at least have a little bit of control over something that often feels very much out of control because it's amazing when we get referrals and we're often like, how can we get more of that? Or when is this going to dry up? Will it ever dry up? I'm too busy to think about it. I'll just keep going. But we have to stay away from that mindset because it does lead, as I mentioned earlier, to the feast to famine cycle. You have the leads and now you don't. You had referrals and now they're gone. And we want to make sure that you have a sales funnel set up so that you aren't trying to get leads from necessarily other places, but you're trying to really take your word of mouth referrals and put them on steroids because word of mouth referral marketing is the best and oldest, most stable form of marketing out there. All right, guys, until next time, keep your marketing simple, your message clear, and I will talk to you soon.